Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and thank you for joining us on this Wednesday evening of a new episode of A Minor Detail. My name is Ryan Miner, and I am your host for the next hour. You are listening to A Minor Detail brought to you by the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. You can find us on the web at changemoco.org. That's changemoco.org. And we're also on Facebook. So looking forward to our show this evening. Uh, we have a uh, a jam-packed show. And uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, the Maryland General Assembly legislative session. So... We have Delegate, hopefully, Delegate Anna Sol Gutierrez and uh, Delegate Kathleen Dumay. Uh, we're going to be bringing them on here momentarily. Uh, but we have a legislative wrap-up that we're going to be talking about. Uh, as you know, the Maryland General Assembly finished uh, this past Monday uh, the what they call signy die. It was the last day of the 90-day session. The session began... Uh, in early January, and it also began with a lot of new change. We elected a new governor this past uh, November, uh, and for the first time in eight years, we elected a Republican governor, Larry Hogan. And with elections uh, comes uh, change and the way business is done in Annapolis. Uh, so this was a markedly different feeling uh, this year, it was a definitely a, um, I would say a more of a compromise uh, legislative session. And although some may disagree with that, I think the session itself was largely productive. Many bills were passed, many were not passed. But uh, legislators, now that we have split government in Maryland, uh, the Democratic, uh, the Democrats control uh, both the House of Delegates and the general, uh, the the state Senate. And a Republican uh, now controls the governors, uh, the governorship. So they had to work to de- together. They were forced to work together, um, and I think that they did it in a in a very positive way. Uh, like I said, some may disagree. However, I think that uh, if you look back at session, the biggest portion of that consumed the most time was the budget. It was uh, it ended up to be a forty point seven billion dollar budget. When Governor Hogan first released the budget in January, uh, days after he was inaugurated on January 21st, um, Democrats naturally had uh, to, to take a look at the budget and take a look at his proposals. And with within the state of Maryland, uh, the budget has a, a ownership mostly within – or I should say all of within the governorship. Uh, our Our – uh, the, the governor of Maryland, um, which is much different from other state legislatures, um, w- they have incredible autonomy over our budget process. And Governor Hogan introduced a fiscally responsible budget, um, and I believe that uh, e- this budget went through many different rounds. Um, and some of the contentious issues in play were, of course, uh, education spending, a 2% pay cut. Uh, you also had um, you had uh, some 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 Medicare issues, healthcare related, and the process went through many many different rungs, and <laughs> it was sort of touch and go there at the last minute. And on Monday night, which was signing died the the very conclusion of session, they reached a deal finally because the budget passed the first round in the House of in the House of Delegates uh, by. Um, all of the delegates voted except for 10, which was incredible. That's important. And then in the Senate, it it, it passed very similarly with uh, with that. But then the final budget vote uh, was a 90 to 49, and then in the Senate it was 33 to 13 along the party line. So most all the Republicans in the House opposed it. Um, and we'll talk tonight with our delegates. Uh, we're going to unwind this legislative session bill by bill. There was a lot to cover. Uh, We're going to spend some time talking about, uh, of course, the budget, what went into it, the process, um, how the Democrats worked out uh, the different um, uh, spending issues. Um, And then we're going to talk about some bills that were aimed at past 
that were passed aiming at improving Maryland's business climate uh, and combating the heroin-related overdose problems. We've talked about that in past shows. Um, we'll talk about uh, the fracking uh, moratorium. Uh, we'll talk about <laughs> powdered alcohol. And one of the big bills that went through this session that drew bipartisan support was the rain tax fee. That was um, not – I'll have, I'll have to explain how this went down, but nonetheless, it's it's rather interesting. Um, and we'll talk about education, education spending, uh, the governor's charter school bill. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the expansion of the, in, the, uh, the tax exemption for military veterans. So we have a lot to cover tonight, and I, I hope that – I don't disappoint because there's so much in session. We could spend hours talking about what happened, what happened through committee, local bills, which I hope to get into with Montgomery County. We'll talk. We'll we'll go through each of the local bills that the uh, the, the legislature passed, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, what didn't pass: um, police accountability, uh, the right to die legislation, and there was a popular bill that would have required certain businesses to provide paid sick leave. For employees, did not pass. Uh, education vouchers was part of the governor's uh, original agenda. That did not pass. Uh, yesterday, the governor, uh, along with uh, Senate President Mike Miller and uh, uh, Speaker uh, Mike Bush, uh, they joined together to sign about 121 bills, uh, which is a lot. And um, <clears throat> there was the pomp and circumstance. So. We're going to see what happens. Um, so, I'm going to. I'm, I'm just waiting for uh, some of our delegates to from Montgomery County to to call in. I'm, I'm hoping that they do. Um, so we're just uh, just waiting on that, and hopefully they'll be on the line soon. So let's let's start out. Um, if you, you like me, I, I read a lot, and I read the Baltimore Sun and. <laughs> the Baltimore Sun uh, depicts more of a doomsday situation, um, and yesterday the Baltimore Sun uh, talked about how the budget was embroiled in acrimony, uh, meaning that there was troublesome, that it was fateful, that it was uh, legislators could not come together, um, which you could make a case for. It sort of happened like that. Being with a new Republican governor... Uh, the Democrats had to adjust to Governor Hogan's style. Uh, he is a businessman. He ran on a platform to fundamentally change Maryland. Uh, he promised that he would not raise taxes, which he did not uh, in the first budget, uh, and he promised to cut the structural deficit. And I'll have some of the delegates speak to that later. Uh, nonetheless, I all the analysts point to that the structural deficit was – just slightly increased, which um, we'll get more into that later. Um, so the governor um, originally put out a about a $40.5 billion budget, and they cut $200 million from the $40.5 billion budget and then implored the governor to spend the money on schools, uh, health care, and state employee pay because, as you know, in the original budget, uh, the governor had asked that uh, we cut uh, state pay 2% across the board. And look, the, the governor came out during a press conference. It was – I was in Annapolis, so we came – we went down on Sunday – or I should say Monday – yeah, Monday afternoon. So Kim and I, were, we, were, we were driving around Annapolis, and uh, I, we, we drove past this uh, herd of reporters – and all of a sudden, uh, I said, holy cow, Kim, stop the car. You have to let me out. Uh, the governor is speaking. It was probably around, I don't know, maybe 5 o'clock. I can't remember exactly. But we walked up, and the governor was giving a press conference to the press to brief them about the standoff between the Democrats and what the governor wanted. Um, nonetheless, the governor came out and said he was elected to deliver tax relief and fiscal responsibility. And I think that that's largely what he he tried to deliver. Um, and you know, I don't want to. I'm not going to uh, devolve into any partisanship uh, tonight. Uh, and I want to I want to kind of lay it out of what happened across the board um, and talk about 
how legislators truly had to work together uh, during this period. So, and I'm proud of that. I think that the Maryland General Assembly, uh, they did not get what – everyone on both sides clearly did not get what they wanted. Republicans would have most likely preferred that more spending be cut, that taxes be cut, that businesses get a greater relief. And I think Democrats wanted to to fund um, the entitlements and, and specifically schools um, and – they want to make sure that state workers are paid, and it's tough because when you are left – when the state was left with a structural deficit, it, it, the governor had some ch- tough fiscal choices to make during this session. And I, I can't imagine when he assembled his team – and by the way, I should mention that he assembled his cabinet bipartisanly. He had people from both parties that uh, know their way around Maryland government very well. They came up with this – they came up with a budget. They came up with these ideas. And you know, you you take for instance um, former senator and now budget secretary David Brinkley. Uh, David, uh, I, I still know him as David because he's a personal friend. But um, they put the best and brightest minds to work in Annapolis, be it Democrat or Republican, and I think that's promising. Think about that: Republicans and Democrats in the same cabinet um, working together to move Maryland and change it and move it in a positive. Direction. Um, so the major pieces of government and spending happen to be tax relief for military, uh, tax relief and school spending, and this came about um, rather forcefully in the very beginning. So if you're just joining the show, I want to introduce you. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail, brought to you by the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 646-716-5971, and tonight we are talking about the 2015 Maryland General Assembly Legislative Wrap-Up. We're getting into the budget process right now, so please feel free. If you have a question, you want to talk about the budget, give me a call, 646-716-5971, and we can chat about what happened during session, what didn't happen, and what you would prefer to have happened. Um, we were supposed to have uh, two delegates joining us. I don't know if they're not going to be joining us now, but if not, we'll we'll keep chatting. So I want to go – I want to take a look down the bills that did pass, and we'll get deeper into the budget as we go down. So I, I looked at the list compiled by uh, the, um, the legislative um, – the the I went online and looked at an aggregate of all the bills that went before the Maryland General Assembly introduced in both the House and the Senate, and I've tried to, to my best put together a comprehensive list. So here are some things that I thought were of importance, um, and I'm sure that I m- might miss something, but I'm going to run down the list, and I'm going to talk about each individually. So um, the legislative session, yada, yada, yada. They passed – the lawmakers had passed about 652 bills altogether, including legislation to protect abused children, and they helped uh, people who may have made a mistake. The Washington Post refers to them as criminals. They turned them uh, – they passed bills to basically help them turn their lives around and improve the state's business climate. Um, so there's a, quite a few bills that are awaiting the governor's signature, and yesterday some of those bills uh, may have been signed. Uh, the first on my list was Anaya's bill. It was named for Anaya Williams, and I, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that name. Anaya was a Frederick toddler who died after Child Protective Services returned her to the parents' home, even though there was uh, even though there was a suspicion of abuse. This bill will give authority will give authorities more power to keep children out of potentially dangerous homes by expanding the instances in which social workers would not be required to try to reunite parents and children. Uh, Going down the list, the artificial insemination, this will give female couples the same health benefits for artificial insemination as heterosexual couples. There's the Augustine Commission that went through, which are five bills designed to improve the state's business climate, which is important. And among them are measures to review new state regulations and assess the impact on small businesses and to require some state employers to take 
customer service training and examine how public universities might make money by selling the findings of their researchers, restructure the state's economic development efforts, and expand apprenticeship programs. All very positive, all to help grow our economy. And they were packaged, this piece of legislation was just packaged together. It's referred to by the name of a commission led by retired Lockheed Martin Chief Executive Norman Augustine, and the st- which was studied um, the state that's basically saying what is holding us back is going to ask a lot of important uh, questions. Uh, body cameras. Uh, this exempts the wiretap rule to allow police departments across the state to wear body cameras. And the legislation lays out the policy for counties and cities. One of the big issues during this session was charter schools, which I think are a positive direction uh, for expanding education choice. Uh, Governor Hogan, he wanted massive reform of charter school laws, but instead he got small changes. And a lot of the most of the legislators will agree that what was put in Governor Hogan's original bill was largely watered down. Uh, the governor, uh, he received small changes that will allow charters to have a say on who attends the school, and it will permit some charters to be exempt from specific requirements about scheduling curriculum and uh, professional development. So <clears throat> we have as well, uh, we got a lot of bills, my goodness. Uh, one of the, the, the controversial, provocative uh, issues touched upon during this legislative session was voting rights for ex-felons. So what this did, what this bill does, it will provide voting rights for an estimated 40,000 ex-felons who are on probation or parole. And the state of Maryland will now join the district and 13 states, including Pennsylvania and Rhode Island, where former felons can vote after they are released from prison, meaning that they will not have to serve out uh, some type of punitive probation or uh, they won't have to serve out their entire parole uh, before they're allowed to again vote. So that means as soon as they are released uh, from jail uh, or incarceration, um, they are their voting rights will be immediately restored, and definitely a point of contention um, among some Democrats and Republicans, um, especially on the Judiciary Committee. So we'll, we'll talk a, a little bit about that in depth. Uh, I've been, we've been lucky. We've had uh, Delegate Brett Wilson, who has joined us uh, to talk about some second chance bills. Uh, we have him to talk about the – who was – Delegate Wilson was also appointed to the governor's uh, heroin task force. So – we should see how these judiciary bills play out. Many Republicans raise serious concerns for voting rights for ex-felons. Um, you know, I, I think it's I, – I think personally that uh, you're going to see this fought. Uh, some people are certainly not going to to take kindly to that. They feel like that we're I've, – I've heard the argument that we're giving ex-felons the right to vote um, over uh, – taking care of business first. So the next bill that was discussed on my list that I thought was important throughout the session, uh, the film tax credit, uh, it's TV shows such as House of Cards. Uh, They could continue to receive a tax credit for filming in Maryland under a bill that allows the state to fund the film tax credit. The bill establishes a reserve fund that could be used for credits, and the governor will be able to decide how the production companies how much the money the production companies would get. As you know, uh, House of Cards, if you're a ardent fan like myself, uh, who do not mind a little bit of Frank Underwood and his duplicitous and deceptive uh, dark, dark side of politicking uh, and thoroughly enjoyed the show, as you know, much of it was taped in Maryland. And if you remember the scene where Frank Underwood walks, I think it was in the second season when he was a vice president. Uh, spoiler alert, 
uh, when fight when Frank Underwood was vice president, uh, the scene was taped in the uh, Maryland State House where they're walking down the stairs, and uh, the vice president Underwood had the members of the uh, the Republican Senate arrested and brought back into the Senate to do a roll call vote. Really interesting story. If you haven't seen House of Cards, I apologize if I completely spoiled that, but nonetheless. Film tax credit was on the docket. It was a major point of uh, discussion. So now uh, TV shows can continue to receive that tax credit for filming uh, under a bill that will fund the tax credit. And, of course, like I said, the governor will be able to decide how much the production companies will get. Um, so moving on, um, next I have on my list the hotel tax. Uh, this is about online travel services that offer discounted hotel room prices like Expedia, Orbitz, and others, and they'll have to pay the same amount as the state sales tax, which is 6%, and hotels do this uh, when they charge rooms directly to consumers. Uh, hydraulic fracking, a big issue in many, many states, especially with the Marcella Shale, uh, hydraulic fracking, as they call it, fracking short, this imposes what amounts to a two-and-a-half-year ban on natural gas drilling in the western part of the state. And the practice could provide jobs but raises questions about environmental and health uh, impacts. So it's looking like that uh, fracking is not going to happen for another two-and-a-half years. Again, if you're joining me, uh, the call-in number is area code 646-716-5971. I'm on the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. My name is Ryan Miner, and we are talking about the 2015 Maryland General Assembly Legislative Session. So we're doing a little bit of a wrap-up uh, about the budget and some of the bills that went through. Uh, let's keep going. So <clears throat> the one of the other bills... Uh, that went through was mandatory minimum sentences, and this bill repeals mandatory minimum sentences for nonviolent drug offenders who have committed their second offense. So again, mandatory minimum sentences, meaning that when a judge imposes a sentence, that it is written to law that they must receive mandatory a mandatory sentence. So when a so now when a nonviolent drug offender would maybe use a drug and have committed their second offense. Uh, they will no longer have a mandatory minimum sentence. The next bill was marijuana paraphernalia, and this got a little bit of discussion. And as you remember, last year, Maryland, it decriminalized um, marijuana, um, and it was decriminalized uh, for the possession of less than 10 grams of marijuana. This year, lawmakers said it should no longer be a crime to have such paraphernalia as bongs. Um, so if you decriminalize marijuana, of course, you're going to have to decriminalize the, uh, how do you put it, the device or utility uh, in which is used to smoke said marijuana. So uh, it, it, it seems to make sense. I know some lawmakers were opposed to it, but again, lawmakers said it should no longer be a crime to have such paraphernalia as bongs. Uh, I think it's a $500 fine. Uh, which is interesting. Now, election law. We're all familiar with, hopefully we're all who are listening to this show, are familiar with when it's time to vote. In 2016, the date of the primary is will be changed. If you remember last year, and I, I remember this day very well. I think all of us do. Uh, if you're excited like me, someone who loves to go out and vote and do our civic duty, the primary date is now going to be changed to April. Uh, the bill will be changed. The bill changes the primary date from the 2006 elections uh, from the first to the last from the first to the last Tuesday in April to avoid the launch of early voting on Easter weekend. So we're looking at a April. I'm going to scroll through my calendar. Maybe like an April 24th uh, of 2016. I might be wrong. I'll check my calendar, but nonetheless, uh, the election day next year will stay the same. In November, but we're going to have a April April primary. Interesting. Um, it was in June. A lot of people complained about the June primary. Do you remember that? Yeah. People were up in arms about waiting until June. It seemed like forever. And then you had so much time 
to go out and campaign. And if you were campaigning, you finished the primary in June, and it's going to be even more time now. Uh, you finish the primary, you take down all of your signs. If you're out door knocking, if you're out trying to win an election and sign waving, you got to wait until about September because everybody forgets about the election during the summertime. People go on vacation. They uh, The last thing they want to think about is politics during their, their summers. And you start hitting the pavements again on September 1st. You put up your signs, your 4x8s, your yard signs. Uh, you go out and knock doors and campaign hard until the cool, crisp air of November. And, you know, so now new primary date in the state of Maryland. Um, there's another bill that revolved around in the Judiciary Committee. It's called the Second Chance Act. And we talked about this on a previous show. Do you remember? A few weeks ago, we had a show about second chances, about redemption. And I, I, I told a very personal story about about who I am and some of my past mistakes, and I had a chance to uh, talk with um, a, a pastor, Ben Wickner, um, from over in Gaithersburg, and we had a great discussion. It was definitely my most pointed show uh, for me. I had an opportunity to talk about moving past mistakes and, um, you know, redemption and what that means for for me personally and for others. And we had a few people come on the show to talk about this. So the Second Chance Act that passed the Maryland General Assembly is people with certain nonviolent and misdemeanor criminal records will be able to have their records blocked from public view after three years under specific conditions. The, the bill is designed to help those with criminal past get jobs, and Governor Hogan did say that he supports this measure. So again, the Second Chance Act it will help people with nonviolent misdemeanor criminal records. Uh, they will be able to have their records blocked from public view. And when they say public view, I'm assuming that it's the Maryland Judiciary Case Search, uh, which if you click in, um, if you go online, uh, you can find pretty much any case. Um, uh, or if you put in someone's name and something comes up, um, you know, it depending on what it is, and, you know, we never want to judge, but if you see something, uh, then sometimes it can affect employment. And, you know, they people don't always know the full story, and sometimes employers, and with well within their uh, within their rights not to ask, but it can hurt people with employment. So the Second Chance Act. Um, next on my list, speed limits. How many of us drive too fast? <laughs> Just kidding. No, we all go to the speed limit in Montgomery County, especially on 270. Uh, drivers now per hour on some interstate highways and expressways. Uh, the bill will give state transportation officials the authority to raise the limit from 65 to 70 miles per hour. I grew up in western Maryland where the speed limit was always about 65, and on Interstate 81, it was about, I think it was 60. I think it's still 60. And Senator George Edwards has been instrumental in pushing for the speed limit to be increased. I know some special interest groups came out strong against this bill. Nonetheless, drivers may soon be able to drive 70 miles per hour on some interstate highways and expressways. Um, our neighbors uh, to the west um, and over there in West Virginia, uh, as soon as you cross over, their speed limit is 70 miles per hour. So now there's a five-mile-per-hour uh, uh, five difference in our new speed limits. Next bill revolving around education, standardized tests. There was a bill uh, a bill this session created a commission to study how many uh, tests students take and how often uh, they will take them. Again, if you're just joining me now, um, our our call-in number is 646-716-5971. Don't be shy. We can talk about the Maryland General Assembly. I'll patch you right in, and we'll have a discussion about what happened during the Maryland General Assembly legislative session. You are listening to a minor detail. Uh, you can find us on the web at changemoco.org. And a little bit about uh, Change Montgomery County. Uh, we are a 501c4 organization, and we focus on four different vertical issues, education, transportation, jobs, and community-related issues. And the purpose of Change Montgomery County uh, we're a nonprofit startup, and we focus on education and advocacy. 
and we use community engagement tools to help residents of Montgomery County, Maryland. And our goal with our organization, we're building a movement for change by encouraging and supporting the development of grassroots leaders committed to improving the quality of life for everyone. And our, I tell you what, our, I'm so proud of this organization because we're each week I have an opportunity to talk about a different and unique topic. And this week, I love politics. I do love uh, how legislation is created, the process the bowels, so you speak, of legislation and moving through the General Assembly, this is great. Uh, and this is an opportunity for us to really learn what happens within our community, and we get to talk about it. So I'm excited that uh, we can talk a little bit of politics. We've been focusing on some uh, very issue-centric, uh, such as homelessness and poverty, which are extraordinarily important because Change Montgomery County's job and our goal is to provide serious solutions to combat these issues. And there's no partisan labels attached to our organization, and we have an opportunity to really put out serious policy alternatives and get the conversation flowing. And that is the goal of my show on Change Montgomery County Radio Network, is talking about issues that matter and tuning in and getting people engaged in the process and really extrapolating these issues out and putting them out in the public so we can talk about them. So let's talk about stormwater management. Remember the rain tax? I'm sure you have. The rain tax was the like the mega, the alpha and the omega of many, many, I don't want to say talking points, but nonetheless, um, it, it's, uh, it was the, the rain tax was something that Larry Hogan promised that he would repeal. And so what surprised me most about this session is that although the rain tax in itself did not fully go away, the fee did. And I want to talk a little bit about that. So the bill removes the requirement that the state's largest jurisdictions charge a stormwater remediation fee. And many of us, we did refer to as the rain tax. So this this removes the requirement that the state's largest jurisdictions, and if you remember the original bill, it required the the Maryland's 10 largest counties to implement a fee. So they didn't specify how counties were supposed to implement this fee, but instead they left it up to the counties to charge it, and each individual uh, county councils or commissioners were charged with coming up with a fee. And if you remember, last year or two years – I'm sorry, I think it was two years ago when it passed, um, former county commissioner at the time when they were commissioner form of government, Blaine Young, now their charter in Frederick County, Blaine Young, they charged one penny each, and I think it came out to a total of maybe 400 some dollars. And I think that that was a real stick in the mud to uh, our former governor, uh, Martin O'Malley. But nonetheless, the fee has been removed. Local jurisdictions are no longer required uh, to charge the fee. And I think that's going to make a lot of people happy. Governor Hogan campaigned on that, and I think you can call that a success. So another issue that passed throughout this session was tort liability. This will increase the maximum payouts to those who have successfully sued a local government, raising the top award from $200,000 to $300,000 per individual claim and from $500,000 to $600,000 per total claims. So some tort liability. The next issue uh, certainly galvanized some Republicans, uh, some hardcore conservative Republicans uh, within the Maryland General Assembly, transgender birth certificates. And I want to read you a description of this bill. Uh, This bill will require the state's health officials to issue new birth certificates for transgender and intersex individuals after a documented sex change. It simplifies the process for individuals who undergo a sex change but may not have had sexual reassignment surgery. Citizens need a doctor's note or a court order testifying to the change, and the new certificate cannot have any markings indicating any change in the requestor's identity. So uh, now that the state allows that transgendered people who consider themselves transgender, it will make them uh, easier now to get a birth certificate or uh, change uh, their gender after uh, their documented change. And, and again, 
the citizens are going to need a doctor's note or a court order testifying to the change. Uh, one of the last bills that went through was Uber. Um, and this, and if you're all familiar with Uber, I don't know. Have you ever used Uber? I haven't yet. I, I have the app. I've downloaded it with the intention to use it. Uh, we go into the city a lot. Kim and I uh, really enjoy going into Washington, D.C., and, and for that matter, some, some other large cities. And so we haven't uh, used Uber, but I hear great things. I think it's a great free market alternative to traditional transportation or public transportation. And But there's been much discussion about how to regulate Uber, uh, how the state's going to work with uh with Uber drivers and the company itself. And if you haven't followed it, I would just encourage you to research Uber. It's a fascinating business model. And I think more of these free market ideas are really going to take off uh, in the next five years. But anyway, the Maryland General Assembly, uh, it's going to make Uber or Lyft and other riding uh, hailing booking services legal in Maryland shortly after the district in Virginia approved the frameworks for the app-based car services. Uh, the legislation also sets rules related to insurance coverage and requires the companies to conduct criminal background checks on drivers. So uh, Uber in Maryland coming soon to a um, to an app near you. Have you used Uber? I don't know. Call me. Tell me about it. If you, if you used Uber, give me a call, 646-716-5971, and we can talk about that. So I did another a little comprehensive uh, – Search and about some of the bills that went through. There's something called the travel site sales tax, and basically what this is: thirty third-party travel websites um, will nil. We we just I just discussed this earlier. These third-party travel websites, like say Expedia, um, Orbitz, whatnot, they're gonna have to pay all the state's six percent sales tax. That's been a point of contention for some time now, and this will now close that that gap of what supporters of the bill call a loophole. But now some opponents now say that it's a, a new tax. Uh, earlier we talked about the marijuana paraphernalia. Um, so <laughs> people that smoke marijuana use the device, uh, like pipes. Now these pipes or bongs or whatnot, they're going to be decriminalized. And smoking, moreover, smoking marijuana in public would also become a civil offense. Let me repeat that. Smoking marijuana in public also will become a civil offense punishable by a fine of up to $500. Another bill that went through was called false cl- uh, based around false claims. Have you heard about whistleblowers, people in government, the Edward Snowdens? Whistleblowers with knowledge of fraud against state and local governments could receive an award if they come forward with information and the government recoups money as a result. So if you're a whistleblower and you have some mega groundbreaking, earth-shattering news that you have about government or against the state or even your local government, you could now receive an award if you come forward with information and the government collects money as a result of your whistleblowing. Um we talked earlier in the very beginning. There was an f- incident in Frederick uh, with an infant death, and what this bill does, it adds protections. Add, it adds protections, and these protections would be in place to prevent foster care children from being returned to abusive biological parents. So this would give social service agencies the ability to keep children in foster care if there is severe abuse or maybe. Um, you know, just, I don't know. It could be many, many different factors here. But if there's severe abuse by the biological parents or parents, um, you know, this is going to protect them. Um, so, a lot of a lot of bills, a lot of a lot of bills. Oh, primary date next year. Let me clarify. Maryland's primary in the presidential election year in 2016 will be moved to the last Tuesday in April, making it April 26th of next year. So come out and vote. Make sure you're registered to vote. That's so important for the mission of changing Montgomery County. We want as many people to go out and get re- – if you're not registered, go out, tell a friend, bring people to the polls, bring people. We can get we can get you at Change Montgomery County. We can get you voter registration forms. 
uh, you can contact us at any time, and we're happy to go out and get you registered. That is important. It's your civic duty. There was another interesting bill that passed um, based upon hit-and-run alerts. The state would now create an alert program to find missing drivers in hit-and-run accidents that result in serious injury. So there's another bill uh, based upon corrections and reinvestment. A council would work on ways to cut spending in the correction system and reduce recidivism. So we're always looking for unique ways to resolve our uh, our criminal uh, our criminal system and uh, punitary system. So that's an important that's that's very important uh, that legislators are using pragmatic public policy. And some of these bills that you thought maybe were entangled only on partisan aisles now have real promise to to pass and I'm proud of our legislators they did a great job so I want to talk again about the budget um, I said earlier that the structural that there was a structural deficit that was attempted to reduce the governor tried to reduce majorly the structural deficit so um, there's 202 million dollars that are left in unallocated funds and the Democratic-controlled legislature would prefer the governor to spend this money on three things. One is $68.7 million to pay state employees so they don't lose a 2% raise. Number two is $68.1 million to the state's 13th largest school systems. And number three, health care initiatives for uh, the poor or what they call uh, Medicaid. Um, uh, there was a lot of contention. This was the last-minute showdown, and Democrats now claim that they've handed this off to the governor and put the ball in Governor Hogan's court to decide how he's going to spend this money on supplemental education funding, state, empo- state employee raises, and subsidies for um, physicians who accept Medicaid. Um, the final budget, again, was $40.7 billion, and – Lawmakers added $68 million to fund the Geographic Cost of Education Index, which is, in short, GC, the GCEI. And this is the formula the state sets to fund the 13th, the 13 largest school districts in the state of Maryland. And in the final hours on Monday evening, the lawmakers, they approved a bill to require the Education Index be fully funded this year. Um, and Mike Miller the the long time the actually the longest serving senate president out of any state of maryland i mean he's been there for a long time democrat from calvert county very recognizable guy if you ever see mike miller he kind of reminds you of someone from the, like the revolutionary period his hair it's it's white he's a distinguished looking gentleman uh very maryland and it's often mike mike miller is often referred to as the most powerful man in Maryland and the man behind the curtain of running Maryland politics. And I've had an opportunity to to meet Mike Miller on several different occasions, and he's really a nice guy. And I think he truly believes in Maryland. His best interests are Maryland, and uh, um, I think that he uh, is really pushing hard for bipartisanship. And you can see the difference between uh, the Senate and the House. Mike Miller um, is definitely a has that senatorial spirit about him in the Senate. And the difference between the Senate and the House is that the Senate is more procedure, is more process-oriented. It's congenial. There's a real high demeanor and a level of respect. You you have to go in with a, a coat on. And I remember uh, seeing um, one of the senators uh, on, on the final day on Sine Die. And uh, it was uh, Steve, Senator Steve Hershey and I were talking, and he said, you know, look, uh, it, you, you have to wear your, your coat and tie walking into the Senate. And it's a little bit much – it's a little bit different atmosphere in the Senate in Maryland than in the House. The the House is where uh, the the dirt meets the pavement and the rubber meets the road, and a lot of the delegates are – there to fight the cause and government closest to the people, and it's much more rough and tumble where uh, delegates can get up and make uh, these stirring and cinematic floor speeches, and they can really talk about the 
the the gravel, the the dirt beneath the politics, and it's rough and tumble. And if you've ever seen a floor speech in the House, it's markedly different than what you would see in the Senate. And it's just fascinating to watch how when senators, uh, when they come over from the House side, how their attitude changes so much. Uh, and, and it's just fascinating to watch. And I encourage you, if you've seen if you know if you're in Montgomery County and you see uh, a former delegate go back and find their floor speeches and then look at it how it's changed going into the Senate I think you're going to see some really interesting change so back to Hogan's budget um he he initi- he, he sent a supplemental budget restoring 75 million dollars in an extra payment into the pension system and Maryland it's no secret Men- Maryland's pension system it needs some work it's at stake right now, and Governor Hogan wants to spend $75 million to ensure that the pensions of uh, of many, many state workers will survive, and Democrats um, have drastically – many of the Democrats in the legislature have worked to reduce the pension system, um, and you know that's not a partisan thing. You know, that's what newspapers are reporting, so that's not Ryan Miner saying that. I'm, I'm just reporting what I've – some of what I've read, um, and you know, Hogan, Governor Hogan, is doing some press conferences, and he's calling the added budget changes. He's saying that they're irresponsible, um, and he's saying that the fenced-off money is not going to be spent on anything other than fixing budget gaps. Again, Governor Hogan ran on the promise to fix Maryland's structural deficit. He ran on the promise not to raise taxes. And he ran on the promise to fundamentally reduce the size and scope of government. Now, this budget, $40.7 billion, this governor has spent more on education than any other governor. So there's some talking points out there that's floating around that he's drastically cut education. Nonetheless, uh, the facts are, the legislative analysis, that he's spent more money on the budget than any governor has had in the history of Maryland. Um, the governor is now saying that he's going to have to review the budget and see how much money we have to spend and what. Um, as you can imagine, there's many special interest groups. Um, Sean Johnson of Maryland's largest teachers union said that overall this budget does not provide the fiscal discipline uh, that that Maryland does. I'm sorry, he, he did not say that. My, my apologies, I'm reading a different quote. I have my notes in front of me, and they're all kind of bunched together. Nonetheless, the teachers' union is saying that Governor Hogan must spend the money on teachers, and they're saying that if he doesn't spend the $68 million in the unallocated funds, that teachers could lose their jobs, um, and our classrooms could suffer, our capital improvements could suffer. And I know that many of the school districts expected this extra money, and my thoughts are that Governor Hogan is unlikely – to, to budge, and I think that um, as someone who was just elected, I think Governor Hogan is a man who is going to stick to his principles. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about there's a few education bills um, uh, that that uh, passed and did not pass. So there was HB 389 and the crossover file bill and the Senate SB 455 was a mandate to start the school year after Labor Day. And look, this died in committee. Uh, the governor. Did support it. Uh, he he and our comptroller Peter Francho uh, talked at length before session and grouped together and really went on the stump to support moving the start day of Maryland public schools into Labor Day. And many of our local school boards um, really pushed back on this bill because they thought that it would reduce their local autonomy and move, and instead the state would control it. So that died in committee and. Peter Francho was quoted as saying that he may sp- uh, urge the governor to use an executive order to stop that. Now, go- schools start at different times, and I know when I went to school, I started in late August, but they're using this bill in an attempt to continue to drive home economic activity in Maryland during the summer months. And I know many people disagree with this bill on the premise that it will reduce the uh, local school districts uh, from having the power to set their school calendar. 
And school districts like Frederick, I know Brad Young, who is the president of their school board, said that he's concerned especially with uh, the the time uh, that students start being pushed back that much, that they will not have uh, the, the, the time for state-mandated testing. Another school bill, education bill, was SB 595, which was the Public Charter School Improvement Act of 2015. This was passed, like I said earlier, but with significant changes. Um, the governor uh, wanted to ensure that uh, teachers, uh, in his original bill, that you would not that teachers would not have to be state certified in public schools. But uh, this was drastically cut back, which is not the case. And as you remember, the governor originally tried to push for education vouchers. That, however, did not pass. Um, there was HB 452 and SB 497, which was a commission to review Maryland's use of assessment and testing in public schools. This was a this was an interesting bill because it was a bipartisan effort in both the Maryland uh, the Maryland State uh, Teachers Education Association and many of the local. Uh, county teacher associations have often fought against the state-mandated testings, and they believe that our students are largely over-tested. And I think if you look at the partisanship of this bill, um, you, you, you must remember that Republicans and Democrats both have somewhat similar views in, in testing as it relates to education. So this bill was passed. And now a commission to review Maryland's use of assessments and testing in public schools, especially with Common Core being uh, being implemented in Maryland schools, uh, parents and PTAs and many education organizations are deeply concerned by the amount of testing that students have. I know, look, Kim and I, we have two kids. They're 8 and 11. They go to elementary school in uh, Montgomery County right down the road from us, and they have fantastic teachers. They have a great administration, and look – Montgomery County public schools are some of the best schools in the nation. We are truly blessed in Montgomery County to have excellent schools. And it's no doubt that parents are concerned by the amount of stress that these increased testing schedules have placed on their children. And I know that many legislators heard the concerns of of parents, and so that's why this commission is going to be used. And again, if you want to look this bill up, it's HB 452 and SB 497. There was also SB 672, which was the student's dia- the student diabetes management program. This did fail in the House, and then there was uh, SB 183, and it requires the GCEI funds to be distributed. In Montgomery County, let's talk some local bills in Montgomery County. Um, there was 20 local bills that would that were that were pushed forth by our legislators. And there was a bill, and if you remember this, this is an interesting story. There was a bill that was submitted to increase the power of the student school board member. And this suffered, I think, its final death, and it might be reintroduced next year, but um, it suffered its death in the final hours. Um, uh, Senator Cheryl Kagan, a Democrat, Rockville, um, had introduced this bill, and this would place additional voting power in the hands of our student representative to the board uh, of education in Montgomery County that give the student representative um, increased power. And if you remember, Senator Frosch, former Senator Frosch, now Attorney General Brian Frosch, he really campaigned against this bill. And his argument was that by placing the additional voting powers in the hands of a 17 or 18-year-old with budgets and collective bargaining and finance and um, Formulas that uh, it, it could subject our student, our student member of the board who is unelected and appointed to serious political pressures, and it may be difficult for them to navigate that. And that's obviously up for the debate. But nonetheless, all 24 members of Montgomery County's delegation voted in favor of the of the bill to increase the power of the student school board member uh, to receive uh, more. Uh, positions to, to vote on or more authority to vote on some of the um, issues that come before the board, maybe the superintendent's contract and collective bargaining. And if you think about it, that's a major responsibility for a student representative to the board. This this bill, it cleared the House in March by a 125 to 10 margin. Um, the student member of the Montgomery County School Board, they already have the power to vote on the superintendent's contract 
absent additional legislation, but this bill would have increased the powers. Now, I look for this bill to be reintroduced next session, um, and given that all 24 members of the Montgomery County uh, delegation voted in favor of this, I think you're going to see it tweaked a little bit, but uh, I think it will be reintroduced. It failed largely because Senator Michael Huff of Frederick County raised objections during the final hour, and it just ran out the clock. They did not have enough time to pass this bill. Um, there's another bill in Montgomery County, special elections for school board vacancies. This cleared the uh, this this bill was uh, uh, submitted by Delegate Ann Carr of Montgomery County, and this cleared the House by a vote of. Uh, I think it was 140 to zero, and there was some cost concerns. And with every bill that is put forth in the Maryland General Assembly, there's a fiscal policy note attached, which examines the cost-benefit breakdown and how, and basically what it's going to cost for taxpayers. And there was a 1.3 million dollar cost. So if a school board vacancy occurs in Montgomery County, this bill requested that it be filled. Um, so this was – it was submitted uh, – looking at from the Senate side, uh, there was a 5-3 to three vote um, and uh, from the Senate delegation, and Senators King, Kagan, and Feldman opposed the bill. Um, and Senator Joan Carter, who is a Demo- – uh, Joan Carter Conway, a Democrat from Baltimore, the chair of the Senate Education Panel, um, this vote was delayed. Um, so – we will see it, and there's several bills that you can find on uh, on a website that, from several local bills by Montgomery County, and the website is www.montgomerycountydelegation.com, and these bills you can find are on the website, and I'm looking down now, and we only have a few minutes left of the show, um, so some of the bills that uh, passed were – the Montgomery County, uh, it was the free play pinball machines, HB 82. This uh, passed the Senate on the third reading, and the House of Delegates also passed this bill. It, was, uh, it repealed these restrictions on pinball machines. Then there was the Montgomery County bill, the, of course, the student uh, member bill. And if you want to reference this, that was HB 86. Then there was an alcoholic beverages bill, uh, which authorized wine auction permits and was requested by the chair on behalf of the Montgomery County government. Um, And then, I'm just scrolling down here, there were several alcoholic beverage bills, (laughs) interestingly enough. Um, The bill that I referenced earlier, the Montgomery County Board of Education, the uh, bill to fill special elections was HB 176. That's HB 176 that was requested by Delegate Carr that did not pass. Uh, it did receive a favorable report. Uh, however, it just did not pass the full House of Delegates. Uh, there was HB 95, which was City of Gaithersburg. It was licensed alcoholic beverage restaurants. Uh, looks like it was uh, a distance from churches or other places of worship. And then there was uh, licenses in Montgomery County uh, and Tacoma Park. So. There was about 20 or so bills, and again, the website to look up the, the 2015 Montgomery County Delegation Bills is www.montgomerycountydelegation.com. So as we're wrapping up our show, um, I, 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 I'm disappointed. Uh, the delegates that we had scheduled to come onto the show unfortunately did not call in, so um, hopefully we'll get them next time. But I, I want to say that when we were in Annapolis on uh uh, Monday evening, there was a real sense of optimism. There was a real sense of hope. And I know that politics are tough. And I know that, especially with budgets, and especially with, when there's special interest always looking to ensure that uh, their side is um, taken care of and that the, the that money is available, um, especially for our schools and for our most vulnerable in society, um, things can get tense. But Mike Miller, our Senate president, was quoted as saying that with Governor Hogan's leadership that many of these bills did pass. And I think Governor Hogan during his first session, he will learn uh, the process as he moves forward in his governorship. And I believe that uh, next session our our legislature will likely work stronger 
and and be able to bind their relationships uh, more thoroughly coming up. And I, I think that that's an important step. Compromise means that not every side gets what they want, and that's just how government works. You must compromise. We must work together. Democrats and Republicans can champion smart, pragmatic legislation that will affect our schools, our society, and give people a real opportunity to do business in Maryland, and there's nothing partisan about that. So I want to say congratulations on a successful 2015 legislative session. Congratulations to Governor Hogan. Congratulations to uh, the Democratic-controlled legislature, and all the best moving forward. My name is Ryan Miner. You are listening to Change Montgomery County Radio Network. This is a minor detail, and I want to thank you for allowing me to indulge you for the last hour. Thank you. Have a great evening. God bless. Goodbye.